hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Constructive Liberty Podcast. Today is Thursday, July the 29th, 2021, and this is episode number 49, one away from the uh, half-century mark. I have to do something to celebrate next week. And yes, I know, I know, I've been gone for, what's it been, two weeks, a little more since I have released an episode, and you've been waiting with bated breath. Is he going to put out another episode? Please let him come back and put out another episode. Well, guys, I'm here. I'm still going to keep doing this. I may quit eventually on this one, but hey, if you need the continued awesome content that you've come to know and love from me, check out the Teen Pod... Well, I can't even say the name of it. Check out the Teen Catalyst Podcast. That's one I do three days a week. They're about five minutes per episode. So check those out. It is personal growth strategies to help teens specifically, but hey, that can benefit everybody, right? To help them start, run, and grow a profitable side hustle. To create a better life. It's the same things that we talk about here on the Constructive Liberty Podcast, designing a life of freedom. Because that's what we all want is to live free, to be free and out from other people's controlling thumb. We don't like that thumb pressing down on us. But that's some of what we're talking about today is the thumb comes down harder and it ain't no fun either. So what have I been up to since you last, since we talked last? Well, to be quite honest, I have been super busy, which is why I have not recorded an episode in a while. My in-laws came to Kentucky. They already live in Virginia. They came to Kentucky to visit uh, two weeks ago, I think it was. And my father-in-law stayed. He just left this morning. So he has been around for a week and a half helping my wife and I build a house. Yes, we live in a camper. I know, right? Like, what kind of freedom is that? But it's financial freedom. We made the decision to sell our home in Georgia a place that we loved. It was the first home that we ever owned. We made the decision to sell that, to move to a 20-acre homestead in Kentucky that was nothing but raw land and a few trees here and there, mostly trashy trees. And we restored a camper and moved into it. We've been living in this camper for nearly five years now. Well, I had a project earlier this year fall through that left me with at the time, about $7,500 in lumber. Yeah, building materials have nearly doubled since that point. So I had about $12,000 in lumber sitting in my backyard. And I'm like, hey, why don't we just build our house with it? Now, it's not a big house by any means. I mean, how big a house are you going to build with $10,000, dollars $10, $12,000 in lumber? Not a big one. But we are building a 16 by 32 two-story house. And... We're designing it so that we can add on into the future. If and when the time comes that we are able to have children, we'll have extra bigger space or a place where we can add on to incorporate that into our little family. It's just the two of us and a dog for now. But anyway, that is what we have been working on the last two weeks to raise our freedom, our liberty quotient, to to design more liberty into our life. Because... I mean, let's face it, a camper is a little bit restrictive. Now, if you live the mobile lifestyle, a camper is super freeing because you are living out of that to go do other things. But our camper is like a home to us. It is where we live. It's stationary. It is there. And it's 
essentially the only thing we have on this property, other than another little storage building or two here and there. And it's very restrictive for doing things like preserving and canning and processing the food that we grow on our homestead. (laughs) I mean, what can you do with four feet of counter space and a tiny little sink in a tiny little space in a cramped camper? Not a lot. So the house that we're working on, it's not going to be finished anytime soon, unfortunately, because we are trying to build it debt free. You know, as we get the money coming in, you got to work hard, save up the money, spend all the money on new materials, put it towards the house. So it's super exciting, a lot of fun, but that's what's been taking up my time the last two weeks. We've been working pretty much dawn to dark. I mean, most nights we didn't quit till 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and it has been super hot, super oppressive, the heat and the humidity out there over the last couple of weeks. And I don't think it's any chance that it's going to be letting up anytime soon, unfortunately. But we've got the main shell of the structure up. I just got to get a roof on it, and we will be able to get that sucker dried in. I've got one of my good friends from Georgia who has recently relocated to another part of the country. He's coming down in a couple of weeks and he's going to help me. I don't know if he knows it or not, but he's going to help me put the roof on it. So that's awesome. That's super exciting. He'll be uh, the second guest that will be staying in our little Airbnb camper, although it's not listed on Airbnb or hip camp just yet, but we are refinishing it for that purpose to have an income generating thingamabob for here on our farm. All right, so I opened up by talking about the technocracy and the people that are trying to control us. We want, in case you didn't notice, I'm doing a transition here. The purpose of this podcast is to make you aware of controlling factors in your life and things that affect each and every one of us. I want people to live as free as possible. That's why my tagline is intentionally, being intentional about what you do, designing. If you don't design something, you can have all the intentions you want, but if you don't take time to design a thing, it's just going to be what it is. And then a lifestyle of freedom. Lifestyle being the way you live, freedom being free, not controlled, not under somebody else's thumb. So intentionally designing a lifestyle of freedom. And that has so many facets to it. Like we can't even go into all that today. But I talk a lot about um, what some people refer to as the technocracy, how the tech giants or the technology controls us. We're being controlled and manipulated and directed by the technocrats. By Eventually it's going to be AI. But for now... That stuff is directed by the controllers, the people who control Facebook, who control Amazon, Google, Apple, all those big things. The people behind those are the ones pulling the strings. And they basically control the people as if they were moving the oceans like a, by waving their hand. I mean, they can control, not literally controlling, like mind control, like the... um experiments that the CIA was doing back in the sixties on people, you know, the, the, uh, what, what was the word that I forget what they even called that program, something mind control. Anyway, not like that, but they manipulate people into making decisions. I'm sure most of you have 
scene back in the, I don't know if it was 80s or 90s, there there was a thing uh, going around where advertisers on TV, they would insert an image into the advertisement or into, I think it also happened uh, in movie theaters where they would flash an image of like popcorn or a Coke or something like that. And it, you're, you wouldn't consciously see it, but your mind caught that and it made you want the popcorn and it made you want the Coke. And I forget how much their sales revenue skyrocketed when they started doing that. It eventually became illegal. But those things still happen. The mind games that they play to manipulate people to buy things. So many people think that the controllers, they want you to, they, they all want us to die. They're trying to kill us. And yeah, there, there is some of that that goes on. All one has to do is look at the Georgia Guidestones or look up Agenda 2030 or the New World Order agenda things all all you have to do is look up some of those secret societies and what they try to accomplish to know that there are societies out there there are people even high up in government world leaders that do want us dead yes but if they kill everybody who are they going to control who are they going to profit off of like if you do a little bit of digging you can see that Government and these massive corporations are deeply interconnected. You go from CEO of a company to like some kind of lobbyist and into government and back out into the lobbying world and over to CEO of another company. They're all the same people. They're, they're going back and forth in between what's supposed to be public and private institutions, but it's all together they're they're all moving as one to profit off of you and me when all we want to do is live in as free as we can be we just want to do the stuff that we want to do and everybody else leave us alone like come on let me grow my lettuce if i want to grow my lettuce and by lettuce i might be talking about something else but i don't i don't grow that we just grow lettuce here officially <laughs> Where was I going with that? I kind of got derailed on that. So I have a little article from Reason.com that I want to read to you. Headline, Biden wants to punish Facebook for the government's own vaccine failures. Federal health bureaucrats should stop scapegoating social media, is the subheadline. The federal government is stepping up its war on Facebook. And if you, uh, if you don't know that they're basically all one and the same, Facebook's not the government, the government's not Facebook, but they're using each other for their own agendas. They're working together to basically help each other achieve whatever agendas that they're working towards. And this article would have you believe that actually they are anti-each other, that they're not working together. Anyway, President Joe Biden has accused Mark Zuckerberg's social media platform of failing to purge anti-vaccine content, thus contributing to vaccine hesitancy and killing people, said the president. Now, the White House is considering methods of tinkering with Section 230, which is the federal statute that immunizes internet platforms from legal liability, in order to punish Facebook for failing to do everything the government wants. We're reviewing that, and certainly they should be held accountable, said Kate Bedingfield, White House Communications Director, in response to a question about Section 230 posed by Morning Joe's Micah Brzezinski. I don't know how to say that. 
Biden has long supported getting rid of Section 230, although it would take an act of Congress to do so. Ironically, Section 230 is equally unpopular with many Republicans, including former President Donald Trump, who has called for its total repeal, because they consider it a special sort of perk enjoyed by tech companies who are purportedly hostile to conservative users. Okay, I'm going to stop there. The article goes on much farther than that. I've not even read a fourth of it, but I'm not in favor of any time government does anything like this. The, the, the point of me reading this is not to say, hey, the government's going after Facebook, but rather they are trying to hold Facebook accountable for something that its users post. And when, uh, when, when a platform starts censoring or, or taking down bits and pieces of content, they are essentially taking ownership over what people post. So if, if they are taking down a bunch of different things that people find offensive or that are supposedly factually incorrect, then they are assuming the responsibility for everything that's factually incorrect or for everything that is offensive. And Facebook is going to get through this. They've got billions of dollars. They've got all the lobbyists and all of that. They are in favor of the regulations because they have back channels to be able to, to manipulate the regulations or to get around it or to have the regulations be created in their favor. Where this is going, mark my words, is small-time people like you and I. If I have a blog, if you have a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever it is, essentially they're going to use this kind of legislation to make you responsible for anything that's said on there to make you, to hold you accountable for it. Even if you have a satire website or something like that, it's misinformation and and they will use anything they can to take more freedom away from you. This is not government against Facebook. That's what appears to be on the surface. That's what the article is stating. This is going much deeper than that. Anytime government institutes something like this, it will be used down the road to get their fingers more and more around the throat of the people they want to control. Okay, I'm going to go away from that now. Here's another article for you. I've been reading lots of articles the last couple of episodes, but these are highly interesting and informative articles if you dig deeper for what's truly behind the agenda. Uh, this article is from uh, barryweiss.substack.com. Substack is a, uh, a blogging platform, I believe. Med schools are now denying biological sex. Yes, med schools are now denying biological sex. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a dude or if you're a girl, the last thing you want to hear when you go to your doctor for, say, if you're a guy for a testicular problem, you don't want your doctor not referring to you as a dude. Like... What are those? No, uh uh-uh. You want them to know that there are biological male and female. You cannot get around that. I don't care if you identify as a unicorn or as Harry Potter or an orc from Lord of the Rings. I don't care what you identify as. My dog identifies as a human. She tries to live in the house, okay? She's still a dog. You're still a man or a woman. So these professors are apologizing for saying male and female. Students are policing the teachers. 
This is what it looks like when activism takes over medicine. Yeah, it's not pretty. During a recent endocrinology course at a top medical school in the University of California system, a professor stopped mid-lecture to apologize for something he'd said at the beginning of the class. I don't want you to think in any way that I'm trying to imply anything, and if you can summon some generosity to forgive me, I would really appreciate it, the physician says in a recording provided by a student in the class. Again, I'm very sorry for that. It was certainly not my intention to offend anyone. The worst thing I can do as a human being is be offensive. No, it is not. The worst thing you can do as a human being is to deny that there are male and female sexes. Two sexes. Male, female. That's it. The end. No more. Okay, I'm done with that rant. Boy, we've gone on for a while already today. But after two weeks away, I guess you just have a lot more to share and a lot more to say. I won't go on a whole lot longer. Um, I blame the previous generation for the way today's children are acting. A lot of, you know, when I say children, I, I don't mean literal children. I mean the people who are clearly not grown up yet, who should be, even though they're in their upper 20s, 30s, all the way up to 40. The millennial generation, my generation, gets a lot of crap. And rightfully so, we deserve it. Some of the most incompetent people in the world. But there are some really awesome millennials out there, okay? There are. Every generation has good and bad. You can't define it just because you're a millennial, you're bad. But I blame the overall generalization for the millennials as being a crappy generation. Maybe so. I blame that on their parents, on the people who raised them. They raised a bunch of pansies. They, they, it's the parents' fault. I fully blame them. But we as millennials have to stand up. We have to take back our, our humanity. Things cannot just be handed to us. We, I get so fired up, I can't even come up with all the words to say. I'm going to end on that and just say this. Go check out the Teen Catalyst podcast. Yes, I'm a millennial. Yes, I am a part of one of the um, pansiest generations in recent history. But we can do what it takes to make so the next generation, Gen Z, is the most incredible generation in history. Okay? And that is part of what the Teen Catalyst podcast is all about. I want to do everything that I can to make sure that today's teenagers, today's youth, preteens, that generation, all the way up, say, from 12 to 20, don't end up having the things said about their generation that is said about my generation. I want to give them their best shot at being able to live an awesome life, doing the things they want to live, the, the things they want to do, doing what they love doing, creating impact on the world. I believe that the way to a fulfilling life is doing things you love while impacting other people. If you're doing things you love only for yourself, it's all self-centered, you're not very happy. Most people that I talk to that are not happy live self-centered lives. Most happy people that I talk to have given to other people so much. I'm not saying you just give everything away like socialists want you to do. You don't want you to own nothing and be happy, Klaus Schwab. No, that's not what it is. You can own things. You can have things. You can have possessions. But 
giving of yourself to other people. There's something about that act that it builds you up. It it makes you a better human being. It makes you a better person. It makes you appreciate other people more. And I'm not saying to give as in give away, but when I go do a job for somebody in my construction business, when I go do a fence business or lay tile or build an addition onto somebody's house, when I'm doing that, yes, I'm receiving something in return, but I'm giving of myself. I'm creating an impact on those other people. And that is what I want to pass on to Generation Z. Like, do something for somebody. Incorporate the things that you love into creating an impact on other people. Like, can you not get it in your head? I can't stress that enough. Do what you love, creating an impact for other people. Impact other people's lives. Go buy somebody some groceries. Call up a widow you know and say, hey, can I make a grocery run for you this week? Go repair a set of steps for somebody. Go into a uh, a, a poor housing community and play with the kids. Play, throw football with them, shoot hoops with them. Do something, spend time getting to know those kids when you impact other people's lives. The greatest impact is on yourself. Let me say this again. When you do something to impact other people's lives, a completely selfless, a completely selfless act, the greatest impact is on yourself. So I guess what I'm saying is the most selfish act a human being can do is a completely selfless one because it makes you a better person. It builds up your self-esteem. It, it creates, it, it elevates you in the eyes of other people. <laughs> it, it can almost be a, uh, what's the term, a euphoric feeling when you do good things for other people. It's almost, you can, you can almost get high off of that. Wow, this is a really long episode. I'm at almost 20 minutes, 20, 24 minutes already. You're going to have to listen to this at double speed to get by in 15 minutes or less. Anyway, that's all I've got for today. I will, I do plan to be back next week. As always, I will drop the links for those articles I reference into the show notes. And don't forget to go download the Teen Side Hustle Success Roadmap. That is good advice for anybody, any and everybody, um, but especially for teens. So don't forget to go download that. You can find that link in the show notes as well. And do good work.